Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way that we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. A survey was conducted in 2017 by the Barna Research Group. And one of the questions that was posed within this survey, I thought, was very personal and very unique. Here was one of the questions that was posed within this survey. What does the content of your prayers most pertain to? I've never thought about that question before. In essence, what they're trying to get at is when you pray, what's the focus of your prayer? And there were 1,015 people who responded to this survey. And I want to show you a few of the results specifically as it pertains to this question. 62% of people said that when they pray, it involves thanking God. It involves gratitude or thanksgiving. 61% of people said that when they pray, they pray around the needs of their family as well as their community. 49% said that when they pray, it involves seeking guidance for a personal crisis. 47% said that when they pray, they pray about their personal health as well as wellness. 43% said that when they pray, they, feel, they pray around what they suddenly feel led to pray for. 41% said that safety in their daily tasks and travel is really what they pray around. And then one other result I wanted to show you. 37% said that when they pray, they pray over their meals. Now, I have a lot of observations about these results, but one of them is this. Only 40% of people pray over their meals? That's like a softball toss when it comes to <laughs> prayer. But 37% was the number. You may wonder, Pastor, why in the world are you starting a sermon giving us results from a prayer survey? Well, there are a couple of reasons, and here's one. Today, I want us to recognize that prayer is not just a formality or religious ritual for us as followers of Jesus. As you study the scripture, here's what you discover. Prayer is a dominant theme both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Prayer is a really big deal in the Bible. And here's what I mean by that. The word prayer is used almost 200 times throughout the Bible. There are over 600 prayers that are recorded within the Bible. And specifically in the life of Jesus, there are 25 moments that are captured or recorded during his earthly ministry that reveal to us his priority and his passion 
for communicating with the Father. And as you study all of these references to prayer, you begin to see that there are multiple ways that you and I as believers are called to pray. For example, we are called to praise God when we pray. We're called to thank God when we pray. God invites us to lay all of our requests before him when we pray. But another example of a way that you and I are called to pray as followers of Jesus is we are called to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And today we are beginning a brand new teaching series within our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of Ephesians called Praying with Purpose. How to pray for other Jesus followers. I love the way that Lawrence Richards referenced prayer. Here's what he said. We learn to pray by praying. But we learn about prayer and how to take our own first steps into the heart of God by considering prayer as it is illustrated and modeled in the word of God. So for the next four Sundays, we're going to explore in the book of Ephesians how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So take your copy of the scripture and look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And in just a moment, I'm going to read two verses. Verses 15 and 16 there in chapter 1. But before we read those verses, I want to remind us what we have already studied in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul has just written the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament and shared incredible truth about the true identity of the people of God. We just walked through that in a series that we titled Knowing Who You Are. And it's available for free, both on our website as well as on our app. So I encourage you to check that out. But here was an identity statement that we really built around each week within that series. Here's the statement. In Christ, I am a loved, accepted child of the Father. And who I am is who I am in Him. Now we have to understand, this is true Of every follower of Jesus. It's not who we hope to be. It is who we are right now in this moment as children of God. So after the Apostle Paul unpacks this in verses 3 through 14, he goes on to say this in verse 15. He says, For this reason, meaning, As I consider all the ways that Christ has changed you, I now want to say this. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers." What I want to do during our time together today is I want to ask and answer two very simple questions to unpack these two verses in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's our first big question for today. Why 
should we pray for other Jesus followers? I mean, that's something we talk about a lot. But really, biblically, why should we pray for other followers of Jesus? Well, in verse 15, Paul said that he heard there were two things that were present among the believers there in Ephesus. And I want you to know, these were not just two random things that he chose. Both of the things that he mentions in verse 15 are indicators that their lives had truly been changed by the gospel. He says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. So I've heard that it's very evident you have a vertical relationship, a relationship with Jesus that is impacting your life. And then secondly, I've heard about your love for the saints. He said, I've heard about your vertical relationship with Jesus, but I've also heard about your horizontal relationship with one another. That your relationship with God is ultimately affecting the way that you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. So in essence, Paul is saying, I've heard about your abiding relationship with Jesus, and I've heard about the connection that exists among the believers there in Ephesus. Those two relationships are foundational when it comes to following Jesus. They were a big deal to Paul. They were also a big deal in the teaching ministry of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples or that you have a relationship with me. If you have love for one another. Relationship with God. Relationship with God's family. Think about it in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus highlighted the two greatest commandments. He said, love God with everything and love other people. So Paul is saying, I'm encouraged to hear that what is true about you in Christ is now being worked out in your daily life. As I spent this week kind of pouring over these verses and really this chapter as a whole, there's something I really, really wrestled with. Uh, I reread verses 13 through four, verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. And we hear Paul talk about what we've been studying. These amazing eternal blessings that are true of every follower of Jesus. So I, I kind of walk back through that again just in my heart. And then as I begin reading verses 15 through the rest of the chapter, verse 23, here's what I felt. I felt that Paul makes this really hard transition. Because he goes from talking about these eternal spiritual blessings to practical aspects of following Jesus and how he's praying for them. And here's what I've been wrestling with. How does that fit together? Why did Paul make such a hard turn, it feels like, in Ephesians chapter 1? Well, I believe there's an answer. And I want to share with you the answer I believe is the case in Ephesians chapter 1 by giving you a couple words. Here's the first word. It's the word position. You see, through Jesus, we've been made right with God. And we, are, we stand positionally before him. As loved, redeemed, free children of God because of who we are in Christ. As we've learned in Ephesians chapter 1. And that is so true. 
That we are so accepted, righteous, and forgiven that we are all of those things as much right now as we will be for all eternity because our position in Christ is not dependent on our performance but on who we are and our identity in him. Okay, so position is what Paul has been sharing in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. Now let me give you another word. Practice. Practice. God desires for every area of our life to reflect his life. And even though we live in a broken world, as a child of God, we are being conformed into the image of God moment by moment and day by day. Practice is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. So when you think about it this way, Paul's really not making that hard of a transition. He has just communicated with these believers who they are in Christ. And now he's going to begin to talk about what it looks like for Christ's life to be manifest through them on a moment-by-moment basis. Think about it this way with this statement. What is true about me positionally, God is now working out in my life practically. So in the first part of this chapter, Paul's been talking about what is true about us positionally. Now he's going to transition to talking about how he's praying for these believers that the life of Christ in them would be fleshed out practically. That's his heart. That's his prayer. That's what he is communicating. As we are conformed to his image, his life begins to be reflected through us. At our home, at our job, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, and in our attitudes. And Paul is telling them, I'm praying that who you are in Christ, your position, would be made evident by Christ in you, your practice. That's what he's communicating. So back to our original question. Why pray for other Jesus followers? I want to give you a statement that I think really unpacks the answer to that question. Here's why. Because I am invited to join in God's activity in the lives of other Jesus followers by praying that who they are in Christ, position, will become Christ in them, practice. I believe that reflects the big picture of what we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 1. And that is why Paul is so passionate here about communicating with these believers in Ephesus what he's praying for them. He recognizes that he's been invited to join in God's activity by praying for them. And specifically, he's praying that everything that is true about them that we see outlined in verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1 would now be fleshed out in their life practically, moment by moment and day by day, as Christ lives his life through them. There's a man uh, that I had a relationship, have a relationship with that I met around 2015. Uh, His name is James. He doesn't live here uh, in Las Vegas. But I was actually interviewing him for a job here at Hope. And we got into some conversation. I got to know him a little bit. I've never met him face to face. We've sent texts. We've sent emails. We've done some Skype conversations. But I've never met him face to face. And it ended up, it didn't work out for him to join our team. But at the end of that process, he said, hey, brother, I want you to know something. I'm going to pray for you. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I'll take all I can get. 
Just bring it on. And what started to happen after that is every Sunday morning at 6 a.m., I began to get a text message. And James would write out his prayer for me for that day and that week. And so it happened the first week, and I was like, oh, man, what a blessing. That's great. Well, it happened the next week and the next week. And then it happened for a month. And then it happened for a year. I got one this morning at 6 a.m. And it's now to a place where I don't feel like my heart is ready to go to church until I get the prayer from James that morning. <laughs> like, it's just that much a part of what I do. Let me tell you what that is. That is James, a guy who doesn't live in Las Vegas, who's never been to our church, joining in the activity of God by praying for me and praying for our church. He recognizes the significance of this thing called prayer and the opportunity for us to join in what God's doing by praying for other Jesus followers that who they are in Christ would become Christ in them. That is a great example of what Paul is recognizing here with these believers in Ephesus. He's not with them, but he can pray for them. And he can join in what God is doing in them and through them through the vehicle of prayer. Paul is saying, I know God, what God has already done in you positionally. And now I'm praying that he would bring it about practically. That's why we pray for other followers of Jesus. Well, here's a second question for us today. How? How should we pray for other followers of Jesus? It's one thing to sit in a room like this and hear me say, hey, we should pray for one another and agree with that. It's something altogether different to really understand, okay, how? I have a heart for that, pastor. I'm convicted. There's a stirring in me. If I desire to take that step out of this morning and throughout this series, how do I do that? How should we pray for other Jesus followers? Well, in verse 16, uh, Paul really gives us three ways that we can pray for one another as Jesus followers. And here's the first one. We should pray consistently. We should pray consistently. Look at the first three words of verse 16. Do not cease. Paul, in referencing his praying, says, I don't stop talking to God about you. There was a consistency about the way Paul was praying for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Now, I want you to notice what he didn't say. What he did say was, I don't stop, I'm not stopping to pray for you. I always pray for you. I consistently pray for you. Here's what he didn't say. He does not say that what he was constantly doing for them was sending them sermon manuscripts or podcast links or Christian books. He says, I'm doing the greatest thing I can do to see who you are in Christ become Christ in you. And that is to constantly pray for you. The greatest thing we can do for our brothers and sisters in Christ is pray. It's really easy in Christian circles to use a phrase like, hey, I'm praying for you, as a polite gesture or a way to end the conversation or is something we almost feel obligated to say when someone is hurting. But I believe as you look biblically 
at this reality of the power of prayer. When we say those words, they should carry weight. And we should consider it an honor to be able to talk to the Lord on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're not going to pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ consistently unless we have a plan. For me, I have different lists that circulate around my life. Whether that's a sticky note on my laptop, whether that's a list I have in a journal, whether that's something on the background of my phone, something in my office, something in my car that just prompts me for the things that I desire to pray about. I'm not leaving it to chance that I'm just always going to remember. I try my best to keep things in front of me that are going to prompt me to pray for the people that either God has put on my heart or the people that I've told I'm going to pray for you. Because here's what I've learned over the course of almost 20 years in ministry when it comes to prayer. I am not going to pray about something consistently unless it is in front of me regularly. I'm just not. I'm not going to consistently pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ unless their name or something they've given me or something that's going to prompt me to pray for them is in front of me on a regular basis. So if you are going to pray consistently for your brothers and sisters in Christ, what's your plan? Is it a list? Is it something on your phone? Is it something in your office? Is it something in your car? What is it for you? A journal that's going to consistently remind you to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we go to the second example here, I want to, I want to say something that I think we all need to hear. Um, it's very easy in a, in a church environment or a small group to tell someone that you're going to pray for them. And honestly, never do it. Now, maybe I'm the only one who's guilty, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up if you are guilty, because everybody might stand up. Now, I know there are people who do it faithfully. There are people like in my life, like James. That brother has been praying for me for years. And there are people like that who faithfully do it. But for other people, they'll say it because they almost feel obligated to say it. But then they walk away and they never do. So let me give you a word of encouragement. When you tell someone you're going to pray for them, but you know in your heart you're probably not, don't look them in the eyes and lie. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop right where you are. I want you to come around them, and I want you to pray for them. I just did it in the lobby after the 815 service. I was speaking with a woman who was hurting, and I just felt led to pray for her. So I said, you know what? Before you leave, I want to just put my arm around you, and I want to pray for you right in this moment. There's nothing wrong with that. And then as the Lord leads me in the weeks and months to come, as God puts her on my heart, I'm going to pray for her. But let's not find ourselves using the phrase, I'm going to pray for you, as the end of a conversation. Let's treat it with the significance that it's treated with in the Bible because we can't be flippant about things that are a big deal to God and prayer is a big deal to God. We are to pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ consistently. Secondly, we should pray gratefully. We should pray gratefully. He says in verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you. 
As we pray for one another, we should do so with a spirit of gratitude because we are praying for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this, His divine power, meaning God's divine power, has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now there's a word in this verse that is a big deal. And it's the word everything. God is saying here, he has given us everything as it pertains to living a godly life. Here's what that means. One of the things we need and that he has given us in order to live a godly life is his family. So here's what that means. In order for you and I to honor God with our lives and experience his very best for us, like it or not, you need me and I need you. Christ died so we can be a family. And that's not just a luxury. That's a necessity to this thing called following Jesus. One of the statements we make all the time at Hope is this. Church is not an event we attend. Church is a family to which we belong. And so as we pray for brothers and sisters in our community of faith here at Hope and around the world, we're not just praying for random people. We are praying for our family. We are praying for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. So as we pray, we should be grateful for what God has given us in Christ. And we should remember that as we pray for believers, we are praying for our family. We should pray gratefully. And then finally, we should pray desperately. We should pray consistently. We should pray gratefully. And we should pray desperately. Paul finishes verse 16 by saying, While making mention of you in my prayers. I think if we are honest today, we would all probably recognize that one of the reasons praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ or just praying in general is not a major priority is not because of our schedule and it's not because of our level of training. It's because we don't see the need to pray. Over the course of my life in ministry and just my journey of following Jesus, here's what I've recognized. Look at this statement. Desperate people pray, prideful people don't. The major thing that stops us from prioritizing prayer in our daily life is the simple fact that we don't see the need. And here's what happens. Unfortunately, it takes a major tragic life event or a really, really hard situation to awaken us to our need to talk to the Lord. 
Now, that need always exists every moment of every day. But we only really recognize it during the hard times. John Ortberg said this about desperate prayer. He said, when we reach the limit of our resources, we pray instinctively, reflexively. Like the way a man lacking oxygen gasps for breath. And the way a man who is falling reaches out for something to grab. It's not bad to pray in a time of crisis. One of God's most amazing attributes is that he is humble enough to accept people when they turn to him in sheer desperation. Even when they have been ignoring him for years. Desperation prayers have been the beginning of spiritual life for many people. But by themselves, such prayers are not sufficient to sustain spiritual life. Many of us fall into the pattern where the only times we pray are the times when we are prompted by crisis or pain. The rest of the time we rely on our own strength and cleverness. Here's what Paul knew about the believers in Ephesus. He knew that they belonged to God and that they were engaged in the mission of God. And so moment by moment, they were in a battle. And the same is true for us. We are the people of God engaging urgently in the mission of God. And we have an enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are in a battle. And eternity hangs in the balance. And I don't know about you, but for me, that stirs in me a desperation to cry out to God on behalf of my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to challenge you to desperately pray for your small group. Pray for our church. Pray for your pastors. And if you can only pray for one pastor, pray for me, not for Vance. (laughs) Pray for our partners around the world. I hope that stirs in you a reality of just what we're really engaged in. On a moment-by-moment basis, there are followers of Jesus today that are going to lose their life in the midst of this battle. So why pray for other followers of Jesus? Well, because we've been invited to join in God's activity in the lives of other Jesus followers by praying that who they are in Christ will become Christ in them. Well, how should we pray? We should pray consistently, gratefully, and desperately. I'll close with this statement by Jim Cimbala. He wrote, Does anyone really think that America today is lacking preachers, books, Bible translations, and neat doctrinal statements? What we really lack is the passion to call upon the Lord until he opens the heavens and shows himself powerful. Let's pray together this morning.
Lord, this is, this is really convicting to talk about. Lord, I know in my life there are a lot of things that I want to do, that I aspire to do, like praying for other believers. But God, sometimes I just don't. I thank you for this reminder today of the invitation to join you in what you're doing by praying. I pray that, God, you would take us deeper in this arena. I pray you would give our church a passion to pray for one another, a deep longing to constantly, gratefully, and desperately talk to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As you sit before the Lord this morning, what's God saying to you? How is God leading you to apply what we've talked about today? And I would challenge you to start small. You don't need to get a copy of the church directory and pray through it this week. You need to ask the Lord, God, who do you want me within your family to begin praying for? And let God lead you. Maybe today you recognize you just need to repent. You just need to confess that this has not been on your radar. This has not been a priority for you. And you know you need a heart change. Maybe you want to come forward this morning and just kneel here at these steps. Just make it an altar to talk to the Lord and just confess where your heart is today. Maybe you'd like one of our pastors just to pray for you. Just to pray over you. Maybe there's another brother or sister in Christ here this morning and God has led you just to pray for them. And you want to go to them during this time and just put your arms around them and pray specifically for them. I hope today you feel the weightiness and the opportunity to join in what God is doing by praying for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe as you sit here today, you recognize that you don't have a relationship with God. At the 815 service, we had a lady come forward and she just said, I need Jesus. Maybe that's you. You recognize this morning you do not have a relationship with God, but he is drawing you to himself. I want to invite you when we stand in just a moment to sing, to come forward to one of our pastors and just say, I need Jesus. And we'd love to connect you with a volunteer who can show you from the Bible how you can be born again into a relationship with God today. I don't know how God's leading you, how he's speaking to you, but these are moments we set aside every Sunday to respond to him. So Lord, I pray you would continue to heighten our sensitivity to your voice. God, these would be moments where we embrace what you're saying that we are obedient to your leadership. And God, you would continue to draw us close. Speak to us during this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.